0: Well, good morning. We're so glad you guys are here. We are on week number two of a series that we're doing here at Ignite uh, called The Undertow, learning to stand in the midst of the currents of this world. And last week we discussed how our culture is just full of currents, isn't it? Full of currents that are capable of sweeping us away, currents that are capable of pulling us under if we're not careful. Uh, It can do tremendous damage to our lives and our souls. And so instead we're taking a few weeks to, to talk about how we can stand in the midst of the different tides and currents of this world. Some of them we said last week, some of them are, are sort of moral tides or values-based or agenda-based tides. Some of them are political political tides sweeping through our world these days. Oh my gosh, can we please get it over with, right? So we can uh, kind of get back to life as normal. Are you, are you sick of being bombarded by this stuff? Are you sick of your Facebook post or what? Are your feed being filled up? Oh my goodness. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks, but man, it's just one after some of the tides, as we talked about last week, are spiritual, aren't they? The Bible actually has a lot to say about the sort of currents that are at the the war, so to speak, even, that is uh, battling against us day in and day out, so so much so that uh, whether we know it or not, we get bombarded by it when we walk out our front door, when we go to school or we go to work, or sometimes when we flip on through our Facebook feed, we are the, the currents are, are sweeping against us, and if we're not careful, and we don't know how, uh, we will be swept away, and so we're, like I said, instead we're, we're talking about how can we learn to stand. The Bible has a ton to say, right? We looked at about 20 different scriptures last week uh, that just say one after another, you know, you know, stand, be on guard, so that you can take your stand, right? And so that you can stand firm in your faith, so that when the day of tempting comes, the day of evil comes, you can stand. We looked at one after another after another because uh, it's warning us that there is a tide that is flowing. And if we're not careful, uh, we will get swept away. And so we're learning how to stand uh, in our faith, stand firm with Christ in the midst of that. And, and I would take it we'll take a step even further and say, not only do we want to stand, but we want to be actually change agents in our culture. We want to create a new culture. I mean, we, we talked about and um, prayed about it just a minute ago. We want to live in your kingdom, God. And, and part of when, when Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer, I said, and he taught us to pray, Father, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying, would you bring your kingdom and your values and your agenda and your power, even your current, right? And would you bring that here into my life and into, into my culture and into my community? Would you would You bring your values and your power and your, your presence and your will uh, to bear there? And so... We're talking about, for the next few weeks, we're talking about how can we live uh, in in God's kingdom? How can we learn to stand and even bring about change in a new kind of culture uh, where we live and where where we go? Well, today I want to take it a step further. We're going to talk about the undertow of racism, because this is a huge deal in our society these days, is it not? Any racial tensions that you've seen in the news? not a one right I was thinking about this weekend going back over it and going I think I'm not sure I think this is probably the most racially charged year uh, of my life uh, I wasn't alive in the 60s or I'm sure uh, some if you were alive then might might put that first and foremost but but man there's been so much that's going on I, I just was kind of playing through some of these the shootings of, of uh, unarmed black young men by white cops Was there some hubbub about that oh my Goodness, right? Huge stuff. And then the retaliations against white cops, the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, Kaepernick and other football players um, refusing to stand during the national anthem that got any press. I mean, you can kind of see some of these things are just, just snapshots of some of the, the racial tension that's, that's going on in our world right now. Beyond that, you've got politicians threatening to build huge walls between uh, Mexico and the U.S., right? You, and threatening to deport uh, millions of immigrants back to their country. It's enraged many, many people. You've got the whole refugee divide in our country, right? Millions and millions most of mostly Muslim Syrian refugees have been displaced by a civil war and have fled for their lives. More than 10,000 of them have sought sanctuary here in the US and were granted uh, that, despite the fact that the majority of Americans were, are afraid and, and are against Allowing them in, right? So there's a divide, there's tension that's going on. Saying we're not sure we want these Syrian refugees to come here to our country because we're afraid of what that might mean. All kinds of tension that's going on that way. It's been a significant contributing factor in the presidential campaigns, has it not? Right? It's come up all the time. Virtually, it seems like every day if you turn on the news. Go, you know, you go to your news outlet online or Facebook feed or it's filled with, with these kinds of tensions and these kinds of stories about race and the racial divides that are happening in our country. Then I mean the, the media sort of gets a hold of this and, and even uh, you know adds fuel to the fire, it seems like sometimes it's just craziness. But it seems as though the currents and the undertow of our culture, of the media, of even the enemy are raging regarding this whole issue of racism in our country. It's sweeping towards the mob mentality on one side, which we talked about last week, or it sweeps sweeps towards the other side of apathy, disbelief, or even bigotry on the other. It sweeps us away as a country. It's dividing us even further. It's doing damage in our culture and even in our churches. If you think racial tensions are going away anytime soon, I have to say you're only fooling yourself. I read a bunch of stats this week that were just fascinating to me. I hadn't heard them before, maybe I'm just behind the curve, but according to uh, the U.S. Census Bureau, according to NBC, according to a bunch of other uh, agencies, news agencies and that kind of stuff, right now in our country, right now, so not like, not like this may happen in the future, but right now, if you take the population of kids born in this country ages five and under, did you know that, that a, a kid being born that's white is actually a minority? Do you know that right now in our country, we have crossed over a divide where the minority has been—the minorities are becoming the majority. It's—it's it's more normal to be born, like I said, and be a person of color in our country right now in that in that younger category than uh, than not to be than to be white. It's crazy! I, I didn't know that. So. It, amazing amounts of diversity that are coming and we've seen this right already in the m- millennial generation those roughly between the ages of 18 and 35 uh, already 43 percent of millennials are people of color it's the largest percentage generationally in the u.s. history by 2040 it's predicted that the majority of the u.s. will be uh, made up of uh, racial what we consider minorities people of color in that kind of uh, but 24, so this is happening in our lifetime. If we think that issues of race are going to magically get easier or are going to magically disappear, I think we're fooling ourselves. Anytime we put a bunch of different people of different cultures, different languages, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different skin colors, or whatever, you put a bunch of those in, in a nation together, there is going to be uh, pockets of tension. But as I was thinking about this, I'm like, you know, that's exactly why we as Christ followers. We as the church must learn how to to be people who love, who bridge, who bring reconciliation, who bring healing, who bring embrace across racial divides. And yet even though the church should be front and center on bringing healing and the love of Jesus to, to our world in these days of racial tensions, in so many ways we are still part of the problem. I was blown away this week as I read a study uh, by Lifeway Research that found that 86% of churches are segregated by race and by class. 86 percent. Churches are 10 times more segregated than the neighborhoods in which they, they, they live, and they're 20 times more racially segregated than the schools in their neighborhoods. Isn't that crazy? Rather than stepping across racial and socioeconomic and ethnic kinds of divides and loving and embracing people, it's easier for us, even in the churches, it's just easier for us to segregate, to divide. And so we've got black churches, and we've got white churches, we've got Hispanic churches, and we've got Korean churches. We just, we're just we just divided. When God's dream for us is to be united, is to be one church made up of all different kinds of uh, racial uh, and Cultural uh, backgrounds. In all honesty, I, I struggled this week uh, just wondering, you know, am I really the right person to deliver this kind of message? In some ways, I feel like I've got the wrong skin color to break this kind of message. I don't have the right background. I feel like I've been a little bit late to the party. We, we lived in northeast Wisconsin for 14 years and planted a church there, and I say it is the most um, homogenous white group of people on the planet, I think literally when we moved into, and you'll think I'm making this up, but I'm seriously not. When we moved into northeast Wisconsin, I think in our entire county, I think there were six people of color. You think I'm kidding, but it's like it's like the, the, the percentage of people in our county that were of uh, different races, different uh, ethnic backgrounds, began with a point right? in terms of percentage. It was a tiny amount. In fact, I had a good friend, uh, a black guy, a uh, Greatest guy I ever, just loved it. He would come to our church sometimes. and I always joke with him when he came that when he showed up, like that represented 25. Per, we could boast that 25 percent of the uh, you know ethnic community and showed you know was a part of our church that week. You know, kind of, it's was, it was ridiculous. So I feel like I'm kind of the wrong person. I feel like I'm a little late. To, I haven't really had to wrestle with uh, so many issues along these lines, and yet I have to say at the same time, maybe I am the right person, right? Because I, I kind of feel like you know maybe. Maybe this conversation needs to begin with me, and it maybe needs to begin with us. And uh, I see, uh, I spent a ton of time studying this week. I I watched uh, interviews. I mean, I watched, I read dozens of books and articles, uh, I mean, all kinds of stuff. And I really dug into the scriptures, and I felt like God was kind of messing with my heart and just kind of pulling on me about the kind of person that I need to be and the kind of church that we need to be Um in order to really be a God-honoring and a God-glorifying church in the fullest sense, if you understand what I'm saying. And so I, I, uh, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming into this. And I'm just, you know, fair warning. I recognize I'm, a, I'm the white guy in the room. Uh, and yet I, I learned some stuff, and I'm just going to kind of take you on a journey and share some of the things that I feel like God's been um, pressing into me about uh, this week. And so, fair enough, kind of with me. We'll just kind of go uh, on, on, this, on this journey together. Because I really do believe that God's dream and his heart is that his church would be different. That even though the tides of culture may may flow us to, to opposites, into division, into hatred, into all kinds of stuff, I really believe the tide of God's kingdom is to bring us back together under Christ, right? To 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 be a people of all nations, of all backgrounds, every every tribe and tongue. Uh, all united and all with their knees bowed to Jesus. And I think his dream is a beautiful thing. And so let's talk about that a little bit today. First thing I'm just going to share is I was absolutely blown away. I was, I mean, seriously, blown away by how central this whole issue of racial reconciliation and unity was to the New Testament, was to Jesus, and was to the early church. It is it is one of the top most central issues in the in, in, in the New Testament, in the in the in the right half of the Bible, right? I mean you see this you see this showing up over and over and over and over again. I was actually I've never actually thought of it before until I looked all of them up this week and it took forever like to read through. You're like, holy cow I mean there's just one after another after another after another after another of issues. When they're saying, man, you have been divided but let me tell you that's there's no place for that. The church instead you are to be a people united. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll get there. I'm getting ahead of myself. But man, it was crazy. Two, the two main racial sort of ethnic groups in the New Testament were whom? The first one was a group uh, of people that lived in Israel that were known as Jews, right? The Jews, now, The Jews, tell me about the Jews. What do you know about the Jews? They were known as God's chosen people. How do you think that's going to go? We are God's chosen people. And who are you, might I ask? Right? I mean, can, you think there could be any divides that get created that way? We are God's chosen people. They were considered blessed by God, they were the dominant culture of the New Testament world. Everyone else in the stories are referred to as what? Gentiles, Gentiles or sometimes Greeks, if you're slightly more daring. It depends. They, they use them almost interchangeably. But there was a huge divide between those two groups Jews. Didn't associate with Gentiles They looked down their noses at them Gentiles were considered Sort of second class citizens A step or two down the social ladder They might be okay They're kind of okay But they're not Jews right? Because Jews were a little bit more up here You don't think that's true? You should read more of the New Testament right? You see it all over the place There's a huge divide that happens No self-respecting Jew Would eat with a Gentile they wouldn't associate with them. There are even some instances in the New Testament where Jews would walk around entire countries of specific Gentile people because they were considered so vile. I mean, this is the world that Jesus entered into. This is the culture that the New Testament was written in, one of racial and ethnic divide. There was hatred. It was a heated sort of culture. There was unbelievable amounts of division. And so one of the primary things that Jesus came to do was to demolish the dividing wall between these two groups and instead make one people for himself. One people. A people made up of every nation and tribe and tongue and skin color one people, the people of God, a new sort of version of the people of God, people that would know him and follow him and be characterized by unity and love and embrace. And we're going to look through that lens at just some of these verses from God's book about this. And I've got a few, so stick with me. But it's fascinating. Listen to this. This is from Ephesians 2, um, 11 through 17. It says this, Therefore remember that formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, quote, quote, by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done uh, in the body by human hands, remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Without hope and without God in this world, you were excluded in saying, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, for he himself is our peace, Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. I love that, by the way. You see the picture there? It's like there used to to be this division, right? Jews, Gentiles, circumcision, uncircumcision, right? Those blessed by God and God's chosen people and everybody else over here. He's like, there was great division. But he says, and then Christ came, and his purpose in doing that was to bring about one people instead of two. To bring about unity, to bring about healing, and to bring all of these people back to God through Christ. It's an amazing picture here. I love it. He destroyed the dividing wall of hostility that separated us from them, right? The insiders from the outsiders. He took it away and destroyed it. Listen to this. Colossians 3.11 says this. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, nor no barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Romans uh, 10, 12 says, For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on Him. Romans 2, says, For God does not show, what does that say? Favoritism. He doesn't show favoritism. That's not, that's not how He rolls. Galatians 3, 26-28 says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith in Him. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Jesus. So therefore, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, listen to this, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's saying there is no hierarchy, right? There is no, hey, I'm a little better, I'm slightly more important, I'm up here and you're down here. He's saying you are all on equal footing before Christ. You are all dearly loved children of God. He's crazy about you. There's no, I'm up here and you're down there. Are you kidding me? There's only sinners in need on God's grace. And if you have opened up your heart to Jesus and said, Jesus, would you come and wash me and forgive me and make me new? He says, you are my people. One people, not two. Um, Acts 10. i got two more here and we'll, we'll keep going. Uh, Acts 10, 34 through 35, which, by the way, you should read Acts, Acts 10 and 11. Uh, there's a whole story. The, both, the whole chapter is really about this this topic. But It says this. It says, and Peter began to speak. It says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. James 2, 1, and then we're going to jump ahead to 8 through 9. Commands this. It says, my brothers and sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you must not show favoritism. He goes on and gives an example and it comes back and says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture to love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted as a lawbreaker. I mean, what I'm trying to show you in all these, this whole host of scriptures, what I, I hopefully you can see it, is part of what Christ came to do was to bring about unity in his kingdom, to bring about a new people for himself, one made up of every tribe and tongue and people and language. I read an article this week that reported uh, that psychologists have found an intriguing way to study what it is that... People like you and I me, mean, what we really like and dislike. In, in other words, if you were to ask somebody if they like certain things because of our culture, because of our mindset, because of not wanting to offend people, we might say one thing but really believe something else. And so they've done tons of different research and found uh, a method that's, that's accurate in, uh, in, in assessing what you really believe about different things, what your your, your gut reaction, your gut response really is of, between what people like and just like they call it effective priming. They basically print a word over a bouncing dot on a computer screen. If people's response is positive, they press a a key with their left hand. If it's negative, they press a key with their right hand. Now, to discover our deeper responses, researchers will use subliminal stimulation. They'll print a negative word, something like fear or storm or death or something like that, subliminally below your level of awareness. Your intuitive system is so fast that it reads those words and responds to them before you're even aware And so if they show a negative word subliminally, like super fast, and then a positive word slowly, it takes you longer to move towards the positive response. And they can measure, therefore, the the negative reaction. Anyway, hopefully that that made sense. But uh, sometimes they'll flash a subliminal picture instead of a word and and measure if it's a positive or a negative sort of response. Here's here's what's crazy. In American culture, they took a picture of an African-American man. And Americans of all ages, races, classes, and political affiliations across the board react with a flash of negativity, including people who report they have no prejudice at all. That's what we're talking about, right? There's sort of a current, an undertow, so to speak, a, a bias even towards racism. But here's what I want you to, here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to hear out of that. As I read those scriptures. As you hear God's heart, right, across the New Testament, certainly across the Old Testament, even, you can see it again and again and again. You know what we see? We see that when God sits in front of a computer screen, whatever face he sees, whatever color gets flashed on the screen, the only button he pushes is love, right? The only button he pushes is love, God does not show favoritism and his command, his call to his church, to a church that has received that love from him, that has been transformed and filled up by his spirit. His call to his church is to to respond in the same way, to, to get past the racial tensions and the racial current and to learn to stand and love and embrace and embrace unity and reconciliation and healing and wholeness of the whole body of Christ, not two but one. And certainly we see we've seen moments of this throughout history where Christ followers, where men and women who have been transformed and filled with that kind of love of God have been able to build and live in that all-inclusive unity and community and love across racial lines. The early church was characterized by this kind of stuff in jaw-dropping kinds of ways. They couldn't believe in Jews, Gentiles, right? People of all different backgrounds, all different, right, languages and all kinds of stuff. I mean, live together in unity as one church. They worship together, right? They serve together. They ate together. They it's a picture of God's, of God's design, of his heart, for what the church is meant to be. There's even times throughout history, the Azusa Street Revivals. is what I was thinking of this week. It happened in the early 1900s in California. It was characterized by that. For years, black people and white people and uh, people of all different skin colors defied the waves of culture and racism, and they worshiped together and met together and did life together in an era and in a day where it was almost unthinkable. There's tremendous unity. That got the, got the attention of the entire world at the time. Friends, that's how Christ's church was always meant to be. It was always meant to be a beautiful and racially inclusive, ethnically diverse, but unified group of Christ followers under the headship of Christ. He calls his people then to become men and women of reconciliation, to become restorers, to become people who are, uh, who are known for their radical love for those that are even very different from them. You'll listen to this picture of when, I think this is fascinating, and I've alluded to it a bunch of times, but it's a, another picture from Revelation, the last book in the Bible, it's, it's given us a picture of what heaven is going to be like. Listen to this. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. What does that say from what? From every nation, Every tribe, every people, every language standing before the throne and before the lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. (coughs) Excuse me. All the angels were standing around uh, the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. It's a picture of heaven. He says, you want to know what heaven is going to look like? It's a picture of people from every nation, every tribe, every background, every skin color, every everything, right? Every language. It's a picture of them all unified around Jesus in worship day and night. It's a picture of heaven. I don't know. Sort of begs the question for me, right? If that's God's picture of what church is meant to be, if that's God's big C church picture, saying, man, what day in heaven, when everything will be set right, when everything will be as it should be, if that's a picture of radical inclusivity, people from all over the place, all under the headship of Jesus, worshiping together, right, being together, living together, in common bonds of love, if that's God's picture, then, why isn't that our picture now? Why isn't that the reality which we find ourselves in the church, in the U.S., and in Peoria? Why are we so divided when God's heart is that we be united? One of our core values as a church has been from uh, the very beginning, one of radical embrace is what we've called it. We want to be a church, we feel like God wants us to be a church that's characterized by embracing and loving and welcoming and including all people inside the church on Sundays, but also outside the church as we go. Like that's what a church was always meant to be one of radical embrace. We think Ignite Peeps ought to be the first people across any room to meet a newbie, to meet and welcome and love on people. You know, on the outside, people maybe who are marginalized, people who struggle with the language, people who are poor, people who are different from them, of different color or background or country than you and me. We ought to be the most radically loving and radically inclusive people in the world. You know why? Because we were once outsiders too. Because we were once excluded. Because we were poor. Because we were the foreigners and Jesus still included us he still included me and he still included you he loved you and me before the beginning of time in all of those verses that we just read about Christ coming to do away with division and to usher in a, a, a new era one of one new people for himself let me ask you again just just the refresher what were the two different groups again one was what the jews And they were the chosen people. They were the insiders. They were the predominant, right? The predominant race and ethnicity in the New Testament, the Bible, right? The New Testament. And who were the others? Who were the outsiders? The Gentiles. Who were those that were excluded? The Gentiles. Can I just ask, which one do I fall into? I wasn't the excluded category. I was the other. And so were most of you, right? We were the. We were the, the ethnic minorities in this story. We were the ones that were outsiders. And here's the reality, here's the truth that the Bible teaches us again and again, is that Jesus, God himself, came down and came to us. He came and embraced us. He came and loved us to the point of death. That's how much he loves you. And he took us, and he embraced us, and welcomed us in along right, with, which is along with anyone who would put their faith and trust in Christ. And now we have the opportunity to be God's children, to be included in His promise to be welcomed home by faith, to have the assurance of heaven. But we were the ones, we were the others, right? We were the minorities, and God came for us. Christ came for me, and he came for you. He modeled for us what it looks like to love, what it looks like to reach out and to embrace and love and be reconcilers in our world. He modeled for us how we are to live, how we, as his people, can be a part of the solution. How we can help bring peace and justice and healing in a world that is being swept away by racism and anger and fear and division. I want to read one more passage, the last one, I promise. Philippians 2, well, better not promise, but I think think, anyway, how about that? (laughs) We'll stick with that. Philippians 2, this one was just fascinating for me this week. Again, thinking of it through the lens of, uh, of the racial division of the day and what Christ came to do. Listen to this. Philippians 2 says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, by having the same love, by being one in spirit and in purpose or one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, value others above yourselves. he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess or acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I just want you to think about this with me. Let me just kind of rephrase it a little bit. It says that Jesus didn't consider equality with God. Something to be grasped or something to take advantage of on his own. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's 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 kind of charged language here. But it's saying Christ had power, he had privilege, and he had position, didn't he? He was God's son. He was part of the Trinity, part of God Himself. He had power and privilege and position, and yet it's saying, yet he didn't hold on to those things or use them to his own advantage. But what did he do? He set them aside he gave them up he came to us he loved us sacrificially so much so that he gave his life and he did it why so that you and i so that those who put their faith and trust in christ can suddenly be lifted up and we can have power and we can have privilege and we can have position and right standing before god
1: is that not amazing?
0: Do you, see, do, do you kind of see where this is going? Christ came for us like that. He gave up those things that he could have held on to. But instead, chose to put those aside for the good of others to be raised up. In you know, other words, I, the, the image that came to mind to me this week is that he didn't play king of the mountain. Anybody play king of the mountain when they were a kid? Right. King of the mountain is the the whole people. There's one person that pretends to be king and they're like up on a hill or up on a, I don't know, I'm trying to think what we used to do it on top of but Snow mounds or something. Yeah, snow mounds, that kind of thing. And one person gets up top and says, I'm the king of the mountain, right, kind of thing. And they get up there and, and everybody else, everybody else's job is to try and push him off, right, knock him down, throw him down, whatever. And uh, get up there because they want they want that position. They want the power. They want the – so they can they, – they're trying to push him off. And his job is to throw everybody else down and keep his, you know, keep his spot. Keep his spot as, as king of the mountain. And, uh, you know, you, you picture that. I'm like, I think, that's, so, I think that's the tide of this world, is it not? King of the mountain. And yet Christ, we see something totally different. We see him willingly choosing to step down off the mountain – To put it even more graphically, to allow himself to be trampled so that others could have position and power, right? Amazing. Right standing before God. The question I find myself asking is if Jesus would give up his privilege and power and position in order to reach the likes of me and in order to reach the likes of you in order to sort of break the cultural and ethnic barriers to reach us, why would we not do everything within our power, everything we can to move towards others, to move towards others that are excluded, to help them become included in the kingdom of God, included in relationship with each other, included and unified in every way in our churches, in our communities, and in our world. We give you a few application steps, and then I got a story, and we'll be done for the day. But again, just some things that I was thinking about um, this week, in response to all these scriptures, in response to what Christ has done for me, I found myself saying, "Man, maybe, maybe it's time for us as a church." to be moving towards people that are different from us. I think all of us have that tendency to be around people that are like us in every way, right? People that that, uh, have similar sort of jobs, people that have similar sort of backgrounds, people that have similar sort of financial whatever. And yet I think Christ is calling us as the church to move beyond. I get that that's the normal current of culture and society, but what if we really did become a people that embraced others that were very different from us? Different socioeconomic, different backgrounds, different color, different job type, different everything. What if we were really characterized by love? You know, Christ says all people, all men and women of the world are going to recognize that you're my disciples, that you're my followers if you love one another, he says. So the New Testament was known for it. It's the church that we're going to be a part of forever. It's God's dream and his call call to every Christ follower. So would you and would I this week look for opportunities to step across divides, to to help be people that bridge, you know, maybe even just get to know people. I I said it before, I'll say it again. I think Ignite Peeps, our goal, where we're going is, I want us to be the first people across any room, if you see somebody that's on the outside, I don't care if it's at work, I don't care if it's at school, I don't, wherever you are, right in your neighborhood, you gotta be the first person across any room, loving on and welcoming and embracing, because Christ has done that for us. I think it's so easy for us to to make assumptions and to demean and to oversimplify and to generalize when when. When entire groups are nameless people, it becomes so much harder to do that when we know people's hearts and stories and backgrounds, when we engage our heart and we start learning to love. I got some great quotes I'll just kind of throw in here along the way too. Uh, Martin Luther King, of course, says, as people fail to get along because they fear each other, and they fear each other because they don't know each other. And they don't know each other because they haven't communicated with each other. Could it be that the first step for the church to really be the church that God's calling us to be is simply to walk across the room, to put your hand out and just get to know some people? Ask, you know, ask them. Ask some questions. Get to know their stories. Hear their hearts. Next one. I thought this was a great quote, too. Uh, Bill Moyers. Wrote a book uh, on this, and this is a quote from there. He says, charity is giving somebody that crumbs off your table. Justice is giving somebody a seat at your table. Isn't that great? Like, yeah, we want to be people. <laughs> we want to be people of embrace, people that are welcoming. Welcome in, people, all different kinds of people to our table. Would you move towards somebody different for me this week? Second kind of point, second application step is really... Uh, The the kind of racial reconciliation and healing that you see in the New Testament begins with a spiritual reconciliation. It begins with reconciliation of us to Jesus. And here's what I mean by that, right? If, if, uh, I mean, uh, the pull and the tide of society is too strong for us just to, to try and man up and do it on our own. Spiritual reconciliation happens first, and then once we are filled with the love of Christ, once we are filled with the power of his spirit, once we have seen model for us, right, what love, real love looks like, then you're empowered to love others, to step across the lines, to bring healing and life towards others. Quote from John Piper says this, he says, I believe that the gospel, the good news of Christ crucified in our place to remove the wrath of God and provide forgiveness of sins and power For sanctification. So I believe the gospel is our only hope for the kind of racial diversity and harmony that ultimately matters. If we abandon the fullness of the gospel to make racial and ethnic diversity quicker or easier, we create a mere shadow of the kingdom, an imitation, and we lose the one thing that can bring about Christ-exalting diversity and harmony. Any other kind is an alluring snare. For what does it profit a man if he gains a complete diversity and yet loses his own soul? Friends, racial reconciliation begins with spiritual reconciliation. Man, I know a lot of people in this generation have real hearts to see that kind of healing and oneness and unity happen and yet uh, we're trying to do it on our own. And And I'll tell you what, it's noble but it just doesn't work. The kind of The Bible knows nothing of that kind of unity. The the entire New Testament, all those scriptures that we read, all begin with saying, God, we've blown it, right? On our own, we have been swept away. On our own, we are people that are far from home, far from the Father, people that have been excluded, that have gone our own way. And yet we need you to come and rescue us and bring us home. We need you to restore us back to God, to forgive us for our sins and make us new. The moment we put our faith in Christ like that, the moment we cry out to God like that, we ourselves get restored and reconnected. Father, we ourselves experience His Spirit to come take up residence in us, and He begins to renew us and make us completely new. He empowers us to live with Him and to live out His plans in our world. And we are able to move then into the world. To, we are able to stand. We are able to become reconcilers with others. If you haven't done that before, friends, I'd encourage you to open up your heart today. Cry out for him, Christ, to just come and rescue you, come and save you, come and restore you to God first, and then send you out as an ambassador to bring healing and embrace to others. Thirdly, I'll just mention, you know, there's some of us in the room uh, that clearly at some point have probably been devalued, demeaned, left out because of your race, because of your nationality, because of your ethnicity, or because whatever. And I have to say, as, as a white guy up here, one who has been part of the dominant culture, one who has been a part of the problem, one who has some degree of power and position and privilege, can I just say, I'm sorry? And can I just say, would you forgive me, and would you forgive us? for the ways that you have been marginalized, for the things that we have said or done, probably without even knowing, that made you feel unwanted and unvalued. Really, I hope that you will be patient with us. You'll treat us with grace in this context, too, uh, as we bump into each other, as we learn how to love one another better. You know, I was thinking this week about it, just thinking, I I think from from a biblical perspective, it's not just uh, – I don't want it to sound like it's just that I'm telling uh, white people in the room or whatever that we need to go and bridge things. We need to go and, and help. We do, but that's not it. I, wanna, I want you to hear the heart behind it because I think from a biblical perspective and from my heart's perspective and I think from uh, just a healing perspective, it's not just that we have sinned or done wrong and, and we're sorry. It's that we need you, right? We need every person, uh, every person to be a part of the church. The the Bible uses the language of the body, right? Of, Of the church functioning like a body. It says if there is one part that is absent, one part that is missing, one part that is not doing its work, then the body just doesn't function quite right. Then we don't all grow up quite as much as we could into the fullness of Christ. We don't get quite the picture. We don't get, get to see quite the result that God intended in the church. And so, part of what I want you to hear today, too, is we need every single one of you. There's a purpose that you're here. We need to engage. We want you to be a part of the church. We really desire and I, I mean are called to and want church to function like the church, to be one people of every tribe and nationality and tongue, all under the headship of Christ, all living and bringing about his kingdom in the here and now, in our country, in our culture, and in our world. Let's close the prayer. Father, I pray pray that that would would become the reality here. Lord, we pray first and foremost that you would uh, bring us back to you, God. Forgive us for ways that we have wandered, ways that we have been far from home. Would you restore us and bring us back to you? In ways that we have sinned against each other, God, would you forgive us? Would you cleanse us? Would you teach us how to love the same way that you have loved us? How to embrace the same way that you have embraced us? How to to even pursue others and love others the way you have of us. And Father, I pray for each one here, Lord, I pray for Ignite Church as a whole. I pray that you would pour out your Spirit. That you would transform us and shape us and make us more and more like Jesus. I pray, God, that we would be one people, one church, made up of all different uh, kinds and colors and uh, ethnicities and different background and socioeconomic group imaginable, all living with great unity as we follow Jesus together. As we learn how to how to be the church, as we learn how to how to love you and love others, as we serve together and live out mission together. God that you would raise up that value in each one of us. That we would be people who step across the room who are the first to embrace and love and welcome and befriend anyone around us that needs it. Give us eyes to see, give us hearts to love and put a fire under us for to, to get us moving. Lead us and empower us by your spirit kingdom come may your will be done God here in us